Well, if you would, go ahead and take out your Bibles and open them up with me to Psalm 84. I certainly hope that you can say what that song says, that it is well with your soul through faith in Jesus Christ. Psalm 84, I want to ask that you look with me at the first four verses of Psalm 84. The first four verses. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. This morning I want to continue our pattern of taking hold of Mother's Day and Father's Day as suitable opportunities for us to address from the Bible issues related to biblical manhood and womanhood. And on this particular Father's Day, I want to speak to you on this theme. Men and the house of God. In particular, I want to challenge us all with this question. Do we love the house of God? Do we love the house of God? Remember, the house of God is not this building. I am referring here to the people of God. And in particular, I am referring here to the gathered people of God in a local church. It is primarily in the context of the local church that we experience life together as God's church, as God's house. We together are the house in which God dwells. It is here that God comes among us in a special way as we worship, as we fellowship, as we serve one another. And so I am not asking you what you think of our church building. I hope you like it, but that's not the question. The question I'm asking is, do you love what you are doing at this very moment? Brothers and sisters in Christ are gathered around you. We're looking at the Word of God together. A pastor stands before us and he preaches truths that our souls need to hear. The glories of God are opened up from the pages of the Bible. Together we we hear from God. Together we grow. Together we worship and are challenged by the Word. Dear friends, do you love what is happening even in this moment? Do you love these people that you're experiencing this moment with? Do you love the house of God? Spurgeon called the local church the dearest place on earth. Does your heart resonate with that? 
want to begin this message with three presuppositions. These are three truths that I simply don't have time to preach on this morning, but I have to say them because we need to be in agreement on them. Um, If you don't agree with these three presuppositions, this sermon won't be as helpful to you. And so just know that we're coming to this message with these three presuppositions, these three understood truths. And the first is this, the local church is vital to the well-being of a Christian. The local church is vital to the well-being of a Christian. We have looked at this time and time again. And we have seen that so many of the means of grace that God gives to His people are given through the local church. That it is here that we have the teaching of God's Word and the preaching of God's Word. It is here that edifying fellowship takes place. It is here that we join together to offer praises up to God. It is here that we partner in ministry and in mission. Church, God blesses us in so many ways every single day. God is like the sunshine constantly overhead, constantly giving light and life. But when we come to the local church and embrace its gifts, It is like we step into a greenhouse. Suddenly the blessings of God become more intense. God's life-giving power begins to flood our souls. Plants in a greenhouse flourish and become healthier than those outside. This is what the local church does for a Christian. Here the blessings of God are concentrated. Remember, it is the local church that is the pillar and buttress of truth in this world. It is the local church where the gospel is always to be found, always to be being explained, always to be being applied. A Christian who is not a part of a local church is a Christian who has lost his own identity. We are members of a body. We are stones in a building. We are each intended to be joined together as a holy habitation for God. A Christian by himself is just one stone. A Christian by himself or herself is like a finger lying on the ground with no attachment to any body. But a healthy local church is the place where the glory and the love of God is most often and most clearly revealed to us, serving our souls. It is vital to the well-being of a Christian. That's the first assumption. The second assumption or presupposition is this. Our culture is quickly forsaking the local church. Our culture is quickly forsaking the local church. Our own experience bears that out. How many of us live in neighborhoods where the very people on our block are not in churches this morning. They don't understand the glory of what happens in this moment. They are blind to what they are missing out on. Their their souls are withering in a constant state of deadness towards God. They, They are not here. How many of our own children and grandchildren do we see forsaking the local church? 
How many do we see leaving our homes as Christians and leaving our God at the same time? The studies and the polls bear this out. 1971, 41% 41 of the U.S. population regularly attended church. In 2001, only 31% of the U.S. population regularly attended church. And the number has declined since then. We're here in the Bible Belt. We're in the part of the country where more people go to church than any other part of the country. And yet even here, you meet any random person in Rocky Mountain, Nashville, wherever, you are, they are just as likely to not be in church today as to be in church today. We no longer assume that people around us know anything about the local church. And added to this is a diminishing level of commitment That is, not only are fewer people attending church, but even those who are attending church tend to be attending fewer services of local churches. Sunday night services are being canceled and are quickly becoming a thing of the past in many churches. Wednesday night services can't compete with all of a sudden there's this allure of other activities that are deemed more important. And underlying all of this is a diminishing view of the local church itself. Put simply, fewer and fewer people agree today that the local church is vitally important. Our culture has embraced full-blown individualism. I can be spiritual and have my own relationship with God, and the church doesn't have to play a big role in that. In fact, the, here's what's happened. The overwhelming view of our day is that the local church exists primarily to serve me. The local church exists primarily to serve my spirituality. And if I want to make use of it, that's up to me. If I want to make use of it, that's great. If I don't want to make use of it, that's fine too. It exists for me. There are so few today who resonate with the idea that the church is the bride of Christ. Not we as individuals are the bride of Christ. The church as the bride of Christ. It exists for Him. Christ gave His life for her. One day Jesus is going to come back and everything in this world is going to be destroyed except for one thing. And that's His church. The church does not exist to serve me. I exist to serve the church. I am a part of her. I am a part of this body, a stone in this building. My welfare is tied in with the welfare of the church. This is my identity as a Christian. And if I don't think this way about myself, I'm not thinking the way Jesus has told me to think about myself. We need a holy preoccupation with the church of Christ because she is the church whom Christ loves. Timothy Dwight, grandson of Jonathan Edwards, president at Yale University, back when Yale University was a university committed to the Word of God. He wrote this hymn. We've sung it before. I love your church, O God. On earth your blessed abode the people our Redeemer saved with His own precious blood. I love Your church, O God, 
whose walls before you stand, dear as the apple of your eye, engraven on your hand. Listen to this. In love my tears shall fall. In love my prayers ascend. To serve your church my toils be given till toils and cares shall end. That attitude is almost completely lost in our day. Why have churches stopped singing songs like this? Because even among those who go to church, we have lost our sense of how precious the church really is. And then the third presupposition is this one. One of the most determining factors in whether children will attend a local church when they are grown is the influence of their father. Let me say it again. One of the most important determining factors in whether children will attend a local church when they are grown is the influence of their father. And this is just a fact. For some reason, this particular area is one where fathers have great influence. Studies show this in families where the father regularly attends church, but the mother does not. Two-thirds of the children grow up to be regular attenders at church. But in a family where the dad does not regularly attend church, but the mother does, only one-third of their children grow up to regularly attend church. Now it's best when both mother and father are both regularly attending. Then the number goes up to 80% of the children grow up to regularly attend church. But we see that there is a great influence of fathers in this regard. So those are my assumptions. And with them in mind, consider the example of David in Psalm 84. Notice his declaration in verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. David is thinking about the tabernacle of God. Remember, in David's day, the temple has not yet been built. The the permanent structure has not yet been built. Solomon's going to do that. So in David's day, the temple is a tabernacle. It's a tent. It's a sacred tent built under Moses' direction centuries before when Israel was in the wilderness, but now it has been brought to the promised land. And each day in and around this tent, sacrifices are being made. Blood is being spilt. Prayers are being lifted up. Praises are being sung. And the word of the Lord is being proclaimed. In the midst of this tent is the Holy of Holies. That special room with that sacred box we call the Ark of the Covenant. With God's Word, the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone inside. God's Spirit dwelling specially in that room with His Word. David thinks about this place. David, in his mind's eye, thinks about the tabernacle where God is at in special power. The place where he is being worshipped day in and day out. And David says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. Certainly it was a fine tent. The tent was made of rare and expensive materials. But he's not talking about the tent. That's not the point. The tabernacle was lovely to David because God is there. God is the altogether lovely one. God is the altogether desirable one. 
And because it is in the tabernacle that God especially dwells, it is a place that David calls lovely. David speaks this way, Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. What was the one thing that David asked of the Lord? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. What made the tabernacle lovely, beautiful in the heart and sight of David was that the Lord was there. For David, the tabernacle is a picture of heaven itself. A shadow of the place where one day God will dwell forever with us. And Mount Hermon, this is no less true in our day. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the place where God's special presence is to be found on this earth Jesus promised that where two or more people are gathered in His name, there He would be with them. And He was speaking about the church, the only institution that Christ is building in this world. Christ said, I will build My church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. God's special presence and power is not promised to any community organization or to any parachurch ministry. God's special presence and power is not to be found, it is not promised to be found in the quiet solitude of a day on the lake or up in a deer stand. Now God can meet with people there. But the only place where He is promised in His Word to come in absolute peculiar power and in a special way is the local church the gatherings of His people. Friends, the Bible says that what we are doing here on this day is lovely. And it is not lovely because we are lovely. Some of you are lovely. Some of us are not so lovely. The reason what we're doing here is lovely is because God meets with us here. And God is working among us here. Do you know it to be true? What we're doing here is lovely because we're acting in faith and obedience. We are declaring to ourselves, to God, to one another, to anyone who cares to see that our God is important. Our God is worthy of worship. Our God is worthy of our time, worthy of our devotion, worthy of our energy. He is most important. Set everything else aside on Sunday morning. This is God's time. Nothing puts God in second place. He has called us out of this world and He has called us to meet like this and He has called us to do the things that He has commanded. In faith, as we sing, as we pray, as we give, as we hear the preaching, these acts of obedience are counting, are counting on God to do our souls good. God, we do these things because You tell us to. We trust that You will bless. It is a miracle of God's grace that we would want to be here, honoring Him with eyes that can see His glory. It is a lovely thing to be in the house of God. Notice verse 2. Look at verse 2. David says, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. 
Do you feel the anguish of David in the first part of that verse? You see, when David writes this, he's not near the tabernacle. David is is separated from the tabernacle and it is distressing David that he's not there. Inwardly, his soul is so longing to be there that he is inwardly exhausted. His soul is weak. His vitality is diminishing. He is weary of longing to be there. Not just his soul, but his body feels this. He sings for joy to the living God. See the joy that David speaks of here. David is in pain, and it's a pleasurable pain. He's in pain because he's separated from the tabernacle. He wants to be there. He wants to be in those courts. He wants to be a part of the worship of God. He wants to be where God's presence dwells. But he can't be on this day. And yet he sings for joy. You see, he's in pain, but it's pleasurable pain. He wouldn't want to not feel this pain. It tears him up to have this homesickness for the house of God. But he wouldn't want to not have this homesickness for the house of God. He's he's glad he has it. Real quickly, run your eyes down to verse 10. Verse 10, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Think about that. David says, if I had to choose between a thousand days spent anywhere else and one day in your courts, I'd choose the one day in your courts. Mount Hermon, can you talk like that? Is this the way you feel? Can you say that one Lord's Day with your church family, worshiping God here at Mount Hermon, experiencing the means of grace here is better than a thousand days spent anywhere else on this planet. Do you feel that way? Test yourself. This will help you to see whether you have been viewing the local church the way the Bible talks about the local church. There's a million wonderful places in this world. But there's only one where you and your church family come into the very presence of God in power. The world looks at what we do here. And what we're doing here looks so foolish and so simple. And and to some, what we're doing here looks like a waste of time. This is the wisdom of God. Because what looks foolish to this world is actually a thing of great glory and a foretaste of heaven itself. David goes on in verse 10, he says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. In other words, David says, I would rather have a very low position in this world. I would rather be a servant and have access to the house of God than to have a very high place in this world and to not have access to the house of God. He says, I'd rather be a servant in God's house than a master in my own house. In fact, in verse 3, David thinks, this is, this is interesting, in verse 3, David thinks about those birds that have built their nests in and around the tabernacle. 
Apparently there were birds that had managed to make a home for themselves in the upper corners, in the crevices of the beams of the tabernacle. There were, there were birds' nests there. And David thinks about these birds living in these nests in the tabernacle, and they're, they're living their lives there. They're burying their young there. These, these birds are dwelling at the altars of God. And David has a holy envy of these birds. He's jealous of them. He says, oh, that I could be like that. And it is so obvious that what causes David to love the house of God so much is that it is God who is there. Here is where David goes to meet God. This is emphasized throughout. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. The birds are at your altars, O Lord of hosts. My King and my God. David is just speaking this God-centered language. He's not saying that he longs for the tabernacle because that's where he gets to go join with other Israelites. Now certainly that was true. He got to go worship with other Israelites at the tabernacle. But that was not the main thing. Nor does he say that he longs to go to the tabernacle because there's amusement there, there's entertainment there, there's inspiration for his life there. No. David says, I want to go to the tabernacle, God, because that's where you are. That's where you speak to me. That's where I meet with you. Mount Hermon, above all else, here is why we must love the house of God. It is here in the worship, in the preaching, in the teaching, in the fellowship. It is here that we meet God. Friends, what do you understand to be happening at this moment? Do you see just an overweight, balding man standing in this pulpit sharing words? Is that what you see? Or do you recognize that there might be something, despite all the frailty and earthliness of what we see here, that there might be something deeper, spiritual, more powerful happening as we gather? You see, despite the foibles of this preacher, despite the foibles of our singing, despite the foibles of the people maybe leading in prayer or scripture reading, it is God himself who through this meeting is speaking to us. And he's not just speaking to you as an individual. He is speaking to us as a family. Do you understand? That's the difference between listening to an audio sermon online, which I do, and I think they're wonderful, and being here and hearing the preaching of God's Word. We are being addressed by God as a family. God receives real worship from us. He is teaching us corporately as a body. His Spirit is active in this moment. If you come to this moment without faith, without an understanding of what God has promised, this is going to be a boring time to you. This is going to be a silly time to you. This is going to be a I can't wait for lunch time for you because you're looking with the eyes of the world. You don't see what's really happening. And I'm not going to put on a show for you. I love you too much for that. No, you must come to this time with the eyes of faith. That there is something bigger and deeper happening as we gather each Sunday. How very different is the example of David from that of the people 
of Israel described in Amos 8. In Amos 8, God is talking about the wickedness of His people Israel. He's coming to them and He says to them, Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, listen to what they say, When will the new moon be over that we may sell our grain? And the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances. In other, words, in other words, one characteristic of the wicked, of those who are far from God, is that they cannot stand the things of the house of God. Coming to church is an inconvenience for them. It is a burden. It is a hassle. Back when even unbelievers used to honor the Sabbath and stores weren't open, and right, it was a different culture then. There were unbelieving men and women who said, When will Sunday be over? I don't like this day. Let me get back to making my money. That's what we're hearing in Amos 8. And now, of course, we've completely lost the idea of the Lord's day, and so what happens? Now it's Why would I go to the Lord's house on this day when I can go out and continue making my money? In other words, one characteristic of those who do not have a true relationship with God is that the stuff of the Lord, the house of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, the ordinances of the Lord, they are a burden to them. When will the sermon be over so I can get on to more important things? Church, what will you do this week that is more important than what we're doing this very moment? These people took no delight in the Lord's day, in the Lord's house, and so I ask you, which better describes you? The wicked of Amos 8 or the heart of David in Psalm 84? Are you like David saying... If I had to choose between a thousand days elsewhere and one day with my church family worshiping the Lord God, I'd choose the one day with my church family. Or are you like those in Amos 8 saying, when will this day be over so I can move on to other things? Examine yourself. Okay, very quickly. Practical counsel for men. I'm going to have to fly through this. Normally this would have been a two-sermon Thing And because we have Luke coming to preach tonight, um, Luke, you're coming to preach tonight, right? No, I'm just kidding. Luke, Luke Boone is, uh, is coming to preach tonight. And so because of that, I'm just going to have to fly. These are a few ways for men to set the example for their family in honoring the house of God. Very quickly, number one, make church a priority in your family schedule. Make church a priority in your family schedule. Much about how you view the church will be seen in how you schedule your life and the life of your family. Do you plan the other aspects of the week and then fit the church services in and around where you can? Or is it a given? Is it a commitment from day one that you have made that you will be in the house of God as often as you can and everything else has to find its place around that? If one day in God's house is better than a thousand elsewhere, how can we say, well, we'll be in God's house if it fits our schedule and doesn't mess up anything else we have planned? Why would you let anything else get in the way of being in the house of God? 
Understand that your estimation of the value of the church of God will be seen not so much by what you say, but by what you do. And so make church a priority in your family schedule. Number two, I could say a lot more about that one, but number, number two, pray often for our church and for the upcoming services when you pray with your family. The upcoming gatherings of the church should be regularly on your mind, and therefore the upcoming gatherings of the church should be regularly finding a place in your prayers. Men, let your wife, let your children, let your grandchildren, let whoever is around you hear that you pray often for God's blessings on the upcoming gatherings. And don't simply, play, don't simply pray, God bless Wednesday night service. Pray, oh God, will you come in power? Will you help us to understand your truth? Will you knit our hearts together in love and unity? Will you give us some guidance and direction in how to reach these people around us who think they're saved when they're not? God, will you come and will you bless? We need earnest, fervent prayers for the upcoming gatherings of our church. And men, you can't fake this. If it's not truly in your heart, don't pray it. So it needs to be in your heart. This must be a real concern in your life because you love the church of God, the place of His blessed abode, because you realize that everything else in this world is passing away, but it is the kingdom that matters. It is the bride of Christ that matters. She will be presented by the Father to the Son for all eternity to be with Him in glory. So that everything we do in our secular vocations, everything we're doing in our, in our jobs outside of this world, everything we're doing in our neighborhood groups, in our communities, in our schooling, and everything else fits under this. I do these things to serve God by serving His church. Number three, teach your family to prepare for Sunday on Saturday night. That is, it says something if you let your kids stay up till 2 in the morning on Saturday night. You wouldn't let them do that on a school night. We want to make sure they're fresh and alert for their math or their English. What does it say when we don't care if they're fresh and alert to hear from God? What kind of perspective are we teaching? It shows that we don't really understand the importance of this day. Seek to make Sunday mornings as joyful, as stress-free as possible. Maybe take baths the night before, set the clothes out the night before. Maybe prepare a special breakfast. Think about ways that you can make Sundays joyful. Show your children that Sunday is special and worth preparing for. Number four, even on vacation, be in church. Speaking openly here, this is something that really vexes me because it's hard for me to understand how Christians can simply choose not to be in church when they're physically able. And it's hard for me to understand how Christians can say the reason I'm not going to church on this day is I've chosen to go to the beach or the mountains. I see this as both a matter of duty and delight. On the duty side, Sunday is the Lord's day. The Lord's day. The Lord's day. 
The Lord is your Master. This is His day. It is to be given to His worship. We have the Lord's Supper. What is the Lord's Supper? It's a supper devoted to the celebration of the Lord. Then what is the Lord's day? A day to be set aside and devoted to the celebration of the Lord. And so what right do you and I have to say to the Lord Jesus, Jesus, I'm going on vacation this weekend. The rules don't apply. The day didn't stop being the Lord's day because you went on vacation. But even more important to me is the delight side of it. Why in the world would we not want to be in church when we're physically able? Especially on vacation because here's an opportunity to be with other brothers and sisters in Christ and maybe to see what God is doing in another local church to to perhaps gain something that you can bring back to our church family to help us. Here's an opportunity for you to catch a glimpse of what God is doing in another congregation. To to meet brothers and sisters that you will be with on the other side of eternity. Here's an opportunity to hear the preaching of the Word of God from a fresh voice. I recognize there's something to that from time to time. One of my favorite things about vacation is getting to go to other churches. And so it just really, I don't understand the heart that says I'm on vacation from church. Why? Unless you think one day away from church is better than the 50 days in church. Which is opposite of David. As a side note, I will mention that over the past several years, many of you have started the custom of going to churches when you're on vacation and bringing me back the bulletin and telling me things that you saw at that church that you thought would help us. I love that. I love that. I have a lot of those bulletins and look at them to see, oh, that that church was doing this. Maybe we can learn from that. So I I do love that. Number five, number five, men, speak highly of the church to your family. Speak highly of the church to your family. Friends, yes, the church is full of sinners. Yes, church life will have its moments that are hard and frustrating and demoralizing. The local church is meant to be a foretaste of heaven, but it's not heaven. Okay? There are struggles and trials in the local church, but even as you take your concerns about the local church to God in prayer, make sure that your speech and your tone and your attitude towards others is always one of esteem for the church. She is the apple of Christ's eye. Even now, warts and all, the church is the bride of Christ, loved by Him. You cause even one of His children to stumble and it would be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and to be thrown into the depths of the sea. That's the love that Jesus has for His church. Be careful that you don't demean the church. Men, you know how mad you get when people demean your wife? Let your family know of your love for the church. Let your family see in you the great esteem you have for the church of God. Number six, serve the church. Serve the church. Let the church have a prominent place in your life. Let the church have a significant place in the use of your talents and abilities. Give your energy, give your thoughts, give your emotions, give your time to the concerns of the church. 
Let those around you see that this is the one institution more than any other in the world worthy for you to invest yourself in. This is the one institution that will prosper in the end. The work you day investing into a church will last into eternity. It is no small thing to keep the nursery or to vacuum the floors or to serve a registration table at Narnia camp. These things are so small, they're so easy, but folks, you are not just serving the church, you are serving the bridegroom of the church. These things matter greatly. Let your family see that you serve the church. Number seven, be a participant and not a spectator in worship. Worship is not a spectator sport. Participate. When we pray, pray in your heart. When the amen is spoken, echo it back to say, yes, I am in agreement with that prayer. I prayed that prayer with you as my church family. When we sing, sing. God is worthy of the sacrifice of pray. You say, Justin, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that just doesn't seem manly to me. Maybe you had one of those dads that didn't sing. Well, dear friend, did you notice how often David talks about singing? Verse 2, he sings for joy to the living God. Verse 4, blessed are those who get to dwell in God's house, ever singing his praise. David loved to sing. This very passage is a psalm written for us to sing. Do you dare say David wasn't manly? How many giants have you killed? Saul has slain his thousands. David, his tens of thousands. How many you killed in battle? So here we have a mighty warrior who loves to sing. The only thing that is not manly about singing is when men sing in a wimpy fashion. That's my opinion. You are only singing the most important truths in the world. What kind of singing does the most important truths in the world deserve? By the way, remember Jesus sang, right? Sang with his disciples on the night. Even he's getting ready to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's ahead. He knows the cross is coming. And what's he doing with his disciples? He's singing in the upper room. In preaching, be a participant, not a spectator. Don't sit and absorb. Lean into it, right? Think. Turn the brain on. Be ready to receive with meekness the word of the Lord. Finally, number eight, show that you love the church by seeking to bring others to it. If the church of Christ is glorious to you, you'll do everything you can to have others experience her glories. Do all you can to encourage others not to slight the church of Christ, but to give her her due. Don't ever let others ridicule the church or demean the church in your presence. Men, stand up for the church. Let others know that to demean the church is to demean Christ. Encourage others to be in church, to make it a priority in their lives. Any man who is not in church is failing in his stewardship as a man to care for those under his authority. It is unmanly to not be in church. And so you be quick to bring your neighbors and any who will come with you to this place. And dear friends, if there are any here who are not a part of a church, let me plead with you to run to the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive the salvation that He freely offers, and to be made one, not only with His church, His people, 
but to be made one with God himself.